My Govanen, welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and it is Halloween 2021. This video is being released the day after Halloween. And there are a few things in Tolkien's universe that are more Halloween appropriate than giant spiders. They tend to pop up quite a bit as enemies in his legendarium overall. And I haven't thoroughly researched this, but I suspect they may be the second most common evil creature specifically encountered after orcs. And why would this be the case? There's a story from Tolkien's childhood where he was bitten by a spider, but he claimed to have no memory of the incident, and he apparently was not an arachnophobe. So why does he have this really fascinating obsession, seemingly, with spiders, and giant spiders in particular? Interesting question. Uh, arguably, it's just the the interesting nature of spiders themselves, and you know, the way spiders work, you know, weaving webs and things like that tends to be a very powerful motif in terms of the things that he was using them for. He uses them in Mirkwood for, you know, being part of the cause of the darkness because their webs just block out all the light, which goes all the way back to his first days with Ungoliant, the giant spider-like thing that teamed up with Melkor to destroy the trees and also was a big fan of you know, devouring light and spinning webs of darkness. So, certainly motif-wise, they fit, whether or not he had any particular reason to hate, dislike, or otherwise include spiders in his legendarium. But the interesting thing is, you could make the argument that all of the, what you might think of as maybe his favorite heroes, and of course I can't ask the man what is, which were his favorite heroes, but we'll explain as I go along, his four favorite heroes, arguably, are the ones specifically who encounter and defeat spiders. So I'm going to take a look at, well, defeat maybe, quite not quite the right word, but we'll get there. But we're going to look at four different instances in his stories where heroes encounter spiders and look at the similarities, the reasons why they might pop up in that way and explain what I mean by his favorite heroes. So let's get started. First of all, we have the obvious Bilbo. Bilbo in Mirkwood at one point wakes up to find a spider trying to wrap him in a web. Dwarves nowhere around. He's already been lost from the dwarves. And he wakes up, finds the spider trying to wrap him up, kills the spider, and the next thing you know, he has to rescue the entire troop of dwarves, except for Thorin, who had already been captured by the elves, from a huge bunch of spiders. They're all very large. And one of the interesting things about the episode, of course, is that Bilbo goes on this <laughs> almost silly escapade where he's, like, sing-songingly making fun of the spiders that he's killing while invisible. And it's one of the scenes that I really wish had been included in some adaptation of The Hobbit properly. It's kind of sort of hinted at in the Rankin-Bass version, but not really done justice. But, of course, as I mentioned earlier... In Mirkwood, the spiders are contributing, at least in part, to the darkness. It's like the darkest patch of the woods where the spiders are because their webs are just blocking out what little light could get through the trees, which wasn't much to begin with. So we have this dark and light motif going on, which will be a recurring theme for basically all of Tolkien's spiders. And, of course, we have Bilbo, who... You know, maybe not one of Tolkien's absolute favorite heroes, but certainly there's an affection that 
Tolkien has for Bilbo, because Bilbo is first and foremost a hobbit, and Tolkien really likes his hobbits. You know, he has a thing for epic heroes, but he also really likes his hobbits, and of course that's going to come up in the next one as well. But it's really interesting how we get, you know, this little peek at how Tolkien thinks of spiders, and the other interesting thing about this is this is really the only the only instance that we get with any kind of a spider-type thing where any humor is involved, which kind of makes sense because The Hobbit is really the place where you get by far the most humor in any of his Middle-earth writings. You get some in The Lord of the Rings, but very rarely in the context of facing evil creatures. But it's really interesting to see that, and it makes a lot more sense also because of all the spiders that get faced by heroes in Tolkien's universe... These are by far the least dangerous, and also the ones against whom the hero has the most advantage, because Bilbo has a magic ring that turns him invisible, and he also has a sword that he can just sneak up on him and stab him to death, whereas the other spiders, not so easy to kill. But let's talk about that. Of course, the other obvious example is Shelob in the Pass of Kirith Ungol, and Frodo and Sam, of course, are the ones who face this particular spider, and Sam, in particular, is the one who faces this spider, because Frodo really just kind of gets, you know, he, he faces the spider, but he doesn't really fight the spider, because he faces Shelob with the file of Galadriel, and then Shelob retreats, and then Frodo basically gets out, and then he starts running, and the next thing you know, Shelob is, you know, catches him from behind, and he's out. But then Sam gets to fight him, and Sam, we almost have to think, had to be one of Tolkien's favorite heroes. I mean, he even says he's the chief hero of the Lord of the Rings, and again, he's a hobbit, and he really loves his hobbits. So it's hard to think that Sam wouldn't be one of his favorite characters in that way. Sam is definitely one of the most developed characters in any of his stories. But again, one of the things that we see here is the dark and light motif, Shelob hates light and you know she's done quite a job of making sure that she is not really being faced with any light and one of the things that we get is when Frodo pulls out the file of Galadriel it specifically says that she is you know she's never had any light so painful in her eyes at least since she started living in Kirithungal which is a very very dark and not so safe place one of the things that we get and this is, again, going to be a continuing theme, anywhere where spiders live is really, really dangerous. Uh, it just It's a place that nobody wants to go. And we get a little bit more hint of this here because Sauron basically lets Shelob live there thinking, well, there's a nice protection against any invader that wants to try to enter my realm because nobody's getting past that. So we again see some of these same motifs. Sam, of course, doesn't have the advantage that Bilbo had against the spiders that Bilbo fought. He can't turn invisible. He also doesn't have the strength on his own to really damage Shelob other than like hacking off a claw and poking out one of her eyes, which, while effective, is not very stopping. It doesn't really put Shelob in a position where she can't fight back because after all that, she still almost overcomes him, and it's only by her own strength and weight that she manages to allow Sam to prick her with sting so it's really interesting how that works and the text even tells us not though you know a 
elven blade wielded by mightier hands had, you know, tried to attack her, could it have done more damage? Her hide was so thick and strong that no other weapon wielded by mightier hands could have done anything more than what this did, because it was her own weight and power that drove it into her, which, you know, it's kind of ironic. Evil tends to be self-defeating is another theme that runs through Tolkien's stories, and that'll come up again later, too. Although it's not a consistent theme for all spiders, but it's an interesting one that will play up again later. But here, of course, we have some of those, a lot of the same themes. The next two examples are a little less well-known, and one of them is not even strictly canonical, but I think it's worth including. But the next one we're going to get to is one that really happens off-page, and this is where I mentioned earlier defeating is not necessarily the right word. Baron, in the story of Baron and Luthien, after he flees his homeland, he is forced to go through you know, mountains and forests, which are, at least in part, inhabited by spiders, which were the spawn of Ungoliant, just like Shelob was the spawn of Ungoliant. And by the time he passes through it, it's like he's aged a whole lot, and he has, you know, he's gaunt, haggard, seemingly older than he really should be, before he comes to the forests of Doriath and meets Luthien. Now, because this happens off stage, we have really almost no details of what goes on there, and it would be fascinating to know what did exactly go on there. Baron, of course, is one of the mightiest warriors in the First Age in terms of humans, you know, elves aside. Men, at least, he's one of the mightiest, with very few competitors, as far as we know. And he was very, you know, he was driven by fate, certainly, and that was a lot of what led to him making it through there, because elves, men, everybody avoided, you know, the, the areas where these spiders were, Elves had a road that would go past the area, but they were like, we're going to get past it as soon as we possibly can and not have to deal with any of this. So it's interesting to know that Baron passes through there. And again, we get the light-dark motif here because we know that this region was a dark one because of the webs that were woven there and a lot of, you know, that kind of thing. Just It's the same thing over and over again. The webs create darkness and terror and nobody goes there and in this particular case the terror is even worse like people who go anywhere near it tend to just go crazy with fear so there's a lot of that same kinds of motifs there but again Baron when we look at him we certainly have to think he's one of Tolkien's favorite at least in terms of you know the ones he had kind of the most attachment to because Baron and Luthien is him and Edith Bratt I mean that that's him and his wife, that story is largely connected to his own life in so many ways, so much so that he had his gravestone engraved with Baron and Luthien under, you know, his and Edith's names respectively. So, and, and of course, Baron and Luthien's story is central to pretty much the entire Silmarillion. If I had to pick one story from the Silmarillion that was the central story, it would be this one. So, even though we don't get a whole lot of detail, we still know enough to see some of the same motifs playing through and the same idea that, you know, for whatever reason, he really likes his heroes to face off against spiders. Now, the final example, this is the one that's not strictly canonical, but you can find references to it in the History of Middle-Earth series, 
and in particular, I want to say it's Lost Tales Book 2, I think. It's been a while since I read it, but it, it's definitely in one of them. And this is Ungoliant herself. Now, we do get Ungoliant as a character in the Silmarillion, but we never really see the heroes face off against Ungoliant in any of the published Silmarillion stories. What we know about her from the Silmarillion is that she is an evil spirit who may or may not have been seduced by Morgoth or may have just been evil on her own, but at any rate was living on the far southern end of the continent of Amun, which is where Valinor was. And she, as a mode of living, basically devoured light and spun webs of darkness. So this is where this motif begins. This whole motif about webs and darkness and all this, you know, the hatred of light even... All of this starts with Ungoliant way back in the day when he first started writing these stories. This goes back way beyond when he started even writing The Hobbit. And then, of course, Ungoliant is kind of approached by Morgoth, who wants her to help him ruin Valinor, and by destroying the trees, rids Valinor of its light. And we get further along, Morgoth steals the Silmarils, which have the light of the trees in them, and Ungoliant wants those because she wants to devour light and, you know, spin more webs of darkness, which she's very effective at. Uh, and here's the other interesting thing, too. Ungoliant is, strictly speaking, not a spider. She is a thing in spider form, which is another phrase we get with Shelob. She is a thing in spider form. And all the spiders that we have talked about are ultimately descendants of Ungoliant. So they're not all strictly spiders. They're just spider-like, technically, because they're, Ungoliant is some kind of an Ainu, you know, what, what was in either what we would think of as the Valar or Maiar. Before they entered the world, they were the Ainu, or she is one of them who corrupted and took a form like a spider. And then her descendants are basically just more like that. I mean, none of them are, strictly speaking, actual spiders. So we get the element of their spider life, but they're not exactly spiders. But the desire to eat the Silmarils is what leads to her and Morgoth, you know, breaking up their alliance rather suddenly. And after that happens... Ungoliant is chased away by Balrogs, and then it says in the Silmarillion, the published version, that in her final famine, when she had kind of locked herself away from all light because she had woven so many webs, she devoured herself. But that's not how the story originally ended for Ungoliant. In the oldest versions, where a lot of things were very different, Erendil, who inherits, of course, the Silmaril that Luthien came to possess... He actually faces Ungoliant, and we never get a complete story of this, unfortunately. But we get that in his travels, his many attempts to sail into the West and find his father Tuor, and also to bring a message to Valinor, asking for their aid in the war against Morgoth, it, we are told that one of the things he does is he slays Ungoliant, which is, I mean, it's that's pretty epic all by itself. Erendil is like the, you know, he's the product of a, the union of men, elves, and Maiar, and we know that Ungoliant has to be, like, way tougher than Shelob, because she's the the grandmama spider of all giant spider creatures, and yet Erendil, you know, theoretically, he's not way more mighty than, you know, the mightiest of human heroes who couldn't have even 
you know, pierced Shelob's hide on their own, and yet somehow he manages to kill Ungolia. I mean, we just get like a brief reference to this. And I really wish that Tolkien had really rounded out and finished all of those travel stories that Eärendil went through so that we could get a lot more detail on this and the other things that he did, but unfortunately, like so many things Tolkien wrote, it never came to fruition. It never got completely written out. And some of this might have been intentionally a little more vague on his part, because even when he was writing it, he didn't necessarily write everything out. He, in in many ways, would leave references out there to things that he wasn't necessarily planning to write out in detail. But, again, we see some of the same motifs, right? Eärendil is certainly one of his favorite characters, because Eärendil is kind of the inspiration for the Silmarillion to begin with. It comes from an old English poem, where there's Eärendil, which is a star, or angel, depending on the way you look at it. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, but it, and, and that's where we get the whole idea of Eärendil being a star, which he eventually becomes after he reaches Valinor, and they give him the Silmaril to sail in the sky as the star, which is where the light of Galadriel's file comes from. So all this becomes interconnected, right? Eärendil, then, is almost the personification of light. He has the light of the trees, he is bearing that light and whatnot. Ungoliant is almost the personification of darkness. She literally devours light and creates darkness. And it's it's not just the lack of light. One of the things that it tells us in the Silmarillion, even the published version, is that the webs and darkness that she creates are not just like a lack of light. It's like a positive thing that just Im- imposes itself onto the mind of those who are in it. And it's, you know, it, it, there's something just uniquely bad about it. So she's almost the personification of darkness. And he is almost the personification of light. And so we get that very strong light and dark motif again. And, of course, the whole idea of, you know, she she is the one who, you know, is the progenitor of all of those spiders that Baron has to work his way through. And one of those might have been, but certainly her daughter is Shelob. So we get that whole motif starts with Ungoliant and works its way down. But it's really fascinating to think of the fact that this kind of personification of darkness, even more so than Morgoth, and basically the personification of light in his early legendarium, they have a clash, literally. They have a clash at some point in his stories, and light wins, of course. But it's really fascinating to see how these motifs that started way back then, before he could even had a dream of publishing any of this stuff, works its way through the rest of his legendarium, and he keeps repeating this theme of spiders and darkness and light and, you know, the the way all of this plays out. And it seems like all of his, you know, all of the really cool heroes end up doing this. Turin, he's a great story, but he's you know, probably not one of Tolkien's favorite heroes, necessarily. You know, we got Tuor was probably, you know, a character he liked a lot, but it was, Tuor was kind of a way of getting to Arendil. So, I just can't help but think that, you know, a lot of these characters that do a lot of these anti-spider things are somehow in his top list of people that he really likes as heroes. I may be wrong about that, but it's really interesting how a lot of the ones that you could definitely make the argument are at least some of the most important figures in his legendarium 
basically are all exterminators. So I hope you enjoyed that video, and if you have any other ideas related to this theme of spiders and how they relate to the world at large and whatnot, throw them in the comments. There's probably a lot more to talk about here that I didn't get into. Just trying to give kind of a general survey and look at each of the examples to get an idea of the motifs. But it's really interesting to think about overall, and I hope you found it interesting. And if you did, please do give it a thumbs up and share around the video. You can subscribe, of course, and hit the bell icon to get all the notifications. And I have Odyssey and Rumble versions and podcast versions as well. You can follow me at Twitter at JRRTLore for some occasional Tolkien-related trivia questions, and you can support me over at Patreon. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namadie.